language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. How are you feeling? Your latest workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a metaphor to help and heal human beings. Can you imagine what it's like to be an ace pilot? This is your chance to make that dream come true. Woo! All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Star Wars from the back to tank. The Star Wars Resistance Edition. Hello, I am Michael Flores, your host in the cockpit. And of course, my co-pilot, David Sabal. Hello, Dave. I'm sitting in the droid compartment. It's very tight in here. You're in the droid compartment. Why did you just demote yourself? Because I said you were actually in the co-pilot seat. <laughs> well, I know, assumed that we were in the Falcon or like a light YT freighter right that's, that's why that's he freighter that's why i figured we were in but you just put us in an x-wing and you put yourself in the back with r2 that's a real a real slave mentality for you to have dave you gotta droid f- rights you gotta, f- droid you gotta free your mind <laughs> rise above rise above did rosa parks willingly put herself in the back no she did not all right well there's our celebration for black history month oh there you go yeah, yeah. Who says we don't care about civil justice? All right. Let's get into this week's discussion. Episode 17 from season one titled The Core Problem. Synapsis, Poe and Kaz make an unsettling discovery and must evade the first order when they are spotted by an enemy probe droid. Now, I want to start off by saying, Dave, this episode's everything Star Wars should be. And I'm not talking just about the story because the story was solid, but also just the vessels, the sound design. There's so much that there's so much that makes there's a lot of atmosphere building that you must do in order to sell your idea of Star Wars. Like oh, yeah. in order for this world you're creating to feel legit, you gotta properly build the atmosphere. And they have done that every time the episode calls for it. I mean, Justin Ridge and the crew managed to deliver all the Star Wars vibes. They know they know what the sounds of Star Wars, even down to the music. I noticed even that score was good this week. Score was really good. What a score and resistance. (laughs) And like, that's the one thing. That's one of the big positives out of resistance. I've pulled so far is all the little nuances that they've done. Yeah. Which is to make sure attention to detail. The the attention to detail, yeah. yeah. I mean, like this one, it's it's funny because like this was a really solid episode, but when you're dealing with like Kaz and Poe just flying in space, yeah, it's very easy to get lazy. But when it's Star Wars, you can't because there's a lot of iconic noises that little bells and whistles that you'd expect. It sells the experience to the audience. Yeah. You can't neglect those things at all. And this week's episode was directed by Saul Reese. He did a fantastic job written by Chris Wyatt and Kevin Burke. This week's episode didn't slow things down with only one episode left Dave to go in the season. 
before the season finale, things are heating up. And I'm assuming we have one episode left because that's all that's being shown on my DVR as well as IMDb and the Star Wars Resistance Wiki. I thought we were going to have 20 plus episodes this year. It does not look like it. So, yeah, same here. I was really, I'm really surprised that basically nothing. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of ground they got to cover in the next episode. Yeah. I, yes. Especially with, with the obvious direction the show is going in now. And the events that transpired in this episode showed us that we're mere days away from the events of the force awakens and the last Jedi. So that means big things are going to be happening during our very first season finale. Next I don't week. think, I don't think even days, I think moments. I mean, the way that Poe left this episode, well, how does, you already know that where he's headed because yeah, like he's, he's going to Jakku. He's going to Jakku. And when he said that, I have expected Finn to pop up. Like, why does everybody want to go back to Jakku? <laughs> <laughs> I know that's why I was like going I was expecting to see Ray and Finn and I'm like going that's how close we are to Force Awakens at this point timelines in comparison to Resistance yeah and it, it felt actually really cool it's like Poe's going off into his own adventure that we all know about and now it's all on Dude, it's fun I, I'm not gonna lie I'm a little excited because we've never had a show like this that goes right I mean yeah, Rebels did it, Rogue One did it, but we're dealing with a movie that came out 30 plus years ago. We're dealing with things that are still in the works right now. That's why I'm so excited. We've never had the opportunity to watch a TV show unfold parallel to a sequel trilogy or a trilogy or a Star Wars movie at the same time. So I'm so excited for what could happen. And with only one episode left, Dave, assume 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 assuming assuming that there's only one episode oh my god i can't talk <laughs> uh, assuming that there is in fact just one episode left it does beg the question where does the show go from here because we're pretty i can feel like we only have room for one more episode this year uh, but it does beg the question where does the show go from here that is the question that i feel like is on everyone's mind it was probably the question mark left on the whiteboard in the writing room there is enough happening currently in the show to keep us occupied, yes, but also I think it's safe to say that this episode is a perfect representation of what this show could become if the writers continue to push forward with these types of episodes. Yes. I mean, to see Kaz competent in certain areas, you know... It, he doesn't it, have to be competent all the time. No, but it does make his buffoonery a bit more palatable when we see moments like in this episode where he is in control and to see that contrast between the Kaz that walks around as a spy with a blaster. He doesn't know how to shoot. He's just not a soldier, but then you see him in the cockpit of the ship and he's more confident, more in control. Yes, he's still Kaz, but there's a certain level of confidence uh, that he exudes. And I, I feel like that's smart because we were hoping they did that in the first half of the season. And I never felt like they really, yeah really made that clear there were moments where yes kaz is a capable pilot we get it but the contrast this week was like night and day and this, i definitely yeah. appreciate that because this one this one his buffoonery was palatable because they they put it in the in the in the in the character frame of the fact that kaz is not confident in himself and that, that's what i really liked about like a lot of like the times that he was 
winning by the seat of his pants or goofing mm-hmm. off was the fact that he wasn't doing it on purpose. He was doing it because he wasn't confident in himself. Right. And seeing that contrast with Poe, who's totally in control, knows what he's doing, you know, doesn't treat Kaz like a small child in this episode, which I really enjoyed because like in the past episodes, the the relationship between Kaz and Poe Poe's like up to this point always looks at Kaz as, oh my God, you're an idiot. Why did I choose you? But this one, in this episode, they portrayed it as basically Poe understands that Kaz is still young. He, he's learning the ropes, he, but he has a lot of potential. And I, I enjoyed that. That's why out of all the episodes with Poe up to this point, I think this was probably my favorite and most solid because the way they framed it was Kaz may be an idiot, but the reason why he's like that is because he lacks self-confidence. Yeah. And once he gets that self-confidence, you can see that he could do amazing things. Like when he's like what you said, when he's in the in the cockpit and piloting around that gravity well, you'd expect him to be like, oh my God, oh waving my his hands. But instead, I was really surprised with that that they portrayed him as very competent. He was calm, he was collected. He knew what to do, and yeah, yeah he may sure. not have gotten it right the first time, but he got it. He he learned right, and that's the point. There was a clear distinction this week from Kaz and Poe, whereas last time they were both acting silly, and and that just undermines Poe as a character, and not just a character, but as a leader and as a mentor. And they did good this time because they showed the contrast between the two. Yes, Kaz was still a bit of a putz, but that I feel works with the relationship they were trying to build between the two of them this week where Poe is teaching him, telling him what to do, telling him how to hold a a blaster. And even though it was through the humor, it still worked to convey an idea. And this honestly is what they should have done the very first time he was on the platform. Instead, they gave us, you know, the the incredibly dumb duo is what we got the first the first go around. There was no distinction between the two of them. They were both just silly putts, putzes that couldn't figure their way out of of a vessel and could even aim at a monkey lizard. <laughs> monkey lizard. <laughs> so they did they did things very differently this week. The writers are making good decisions and this is just another yet another example of the obvious the obvious course correction during the second half. Yeah. I mean, the second half, we, me and you have been harping on it. You could tell the course correction that they've been making. It's kind of like, it's, it's, it does dude. feel like Filoni just came out of the bathroom and basically said, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't have a problem with that. I mean, if anything, being, being able to notice this course correction justifies some of our issues. It, you know, it makes us feel like, hey, we were on the right track. We were we knew what we were talking about. And obviously the writers went back and saw that they were making some mistakes. And we keep saying this, but I feel like with how negative we were with the opening half, it's worth stating again. I, and I don't I don't mind the silliness of this show. That has never been our problem. As long as it's intertwined with an actual story and yes. we see character growth and story development. And that has been happening. Yeah, and the narrative, I like the fact that they still kept that atmospheric narrative tone of something sinister is coming. Yeah. Something bad is going to happen. 
I agree. And, the tone was very stark. And I was like, it was Kaz's uh, goofiness and everything. It worked basically with his goofiness and that tone still of like, this is something serious, Kaz. And at the end, my one of my favorite things is the fact that Kaz alludes to the fact that there's something really bad that's going to happen, but no one care, no one's noticing it. The only one that he know that notices are the people that are tied through the resistance. Yeah, and it's like almost like this very very grim ending in the very end. And I was really surprised they went with that tone. That it's very. I'm not. It needs to be grim. If you're dealing with the first order and the annihilation or genocide of a of a people, then guess what? It's gonna it has to be dark. Otherwise, it just feel kind of cheap. Yeah, and I'm, you know, and and, after, and not sincere. After the first after the first part of the first half of the season, you were honestly I was expecting it because like the way that they were the tone was were all over what? this is like all the silliness and goofiness to affect that tone. Oh, you okay. So you're you saying know? that you expected the silliness to basically ruin the tone. Yeah. And like well, this episode, no, it was, they stuck to their guns. They stuck to their narrative. And I, I really found this episode that much more enjoyable. Okay. Well, let's backtrack just a bit. Let's talk about what we actually saw in this episode then. Okay. With Poe Dameron stopping by the platform to collect BB-8. That's when we realize that the Resistance didn't have any idea just how much of a threat the First Order yes. actually is. This really does straighten out a few things for us as an audience. It justifies how the fuck an entire army slash fleet can be formed underneath the nose of the New Republic. It makes more sense that they were operating completely under the veil of secrecy. The resistance slash the new Republic Republic had no idea how much of a threat they actually were. And it was fun being a viewer and following the clues, seeing Kaz and Poe in the cockpit. It felt like we were along for the ride. And more importantly, it felt like Star Wars. As I said, at the top of the yes. show, it was fun to be essentially a fly on the wall as Poe and Kaz investigate a system that no longer has a star. This is where it gets really interesting and where my interest was peaked. I'm sure this system was possibly some kind of testing ground for what would eventually become star killer base. The obvious clue being the cores of the planetoids were gutted and in the shape of star killer base. base. Uh, the second clue being the star was missing from the system, which means star killer base must have completely depleted the sun. As we know from the force awakens star killer base was charged through the power of the stars and it gradually blocked out sunlight until running at full capacity. It extinguished it completely leaving the surface in darkness. Yep. So I, I'm assuming or we can assume that the star is missing because they depleted it of all its power. They also stumbled upon an old temple. It was very intriguing as well. And settlement that looked to have been bombarded by first order blaster fire or some type of attack. This is where the theories began, Dave. Could this have been an old Jedi settlement or possibly something connected to the force? I think that's safe to assume. Yes, we that know is safe to assume. We do know that the unknown region is where those kids are from, the ones hiding out on the platform. And there was a bit of info that was shared by way of the latest StarWars.com slash bucket list that they put out 
after every episode. And on that this week's bucket list via StarWars.com, it said that sharp-eyed viewers may have spotted that among the village ruins is the same symbol worn on a bracelet once owned by Kel and Ilea. Yes. So I'm wondering, Dave, this is where we're going to get really, really speculative here. I'm wondering if they will connect the power of Starkiller Base to the Force like they did with the Death Star, retrospectively. The Death Star super weapon being powered by Hyper crystals, crystals, right? Yeah. Okay. The reason I bring this up is because it seemed very obvious that the temple was the key to lots of answers this week. What did that temple house that was so important to the First Order? Well, how about the answers to harnessing dark energy? The First Order's weapon, Starkiller Base, if people don't know how it works, it may have been powered by stars, but it taps into an energy source called dark energy. Yes. And this is based off of the Star Wars Force Awakens novelization. So we know that the Force has been called an energy field before, right? The yes. very first definition of it's the living, Force. It's living energy. Yeah, the very first definition of the Force, as described by Obi-Wan, the Force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. Okay, so let's take a look at the term quint, I want to say quintessence. Okay, now okay. the reason why I bring this up is because from the novelization of The Force Awakens, they go into greater detail on how the Starkiller base operates, okay? It uses a power source called quintessence. I'm going to bring the wiki up because it describes it far better than I could. Uh, quintessence was a form of dark energy. According to resistance officer Satura, the scientist working on the Galactic Empire's project Celestial Power had tried to contain dark matter quintessence. Originally thought impossible to tap into, the First Order discovered a way to harvest quintessence decades later, giving it a practically unlimited source of energy. The First Order used quintessence to create a superweapon called Starkiller Base which could destroy entire star systems. When the superweapon fired its planet-shattering beam, it transformed the quintessence within into phantom energy, another form of dark energy. The destruction of the Hosean system, the Hosnian system in 34 ABY, was visible from across the galaxy due to the subspace or the sub-hyperspace rip that was created when the Starkiller base fired its main weapon. Now, the reason why I bore everybody with that long, drawn-out definition or details on quintessence is because this could be a new form of energy that they weren't able to tap into before. Yeah. And could this new form of energy be the dark side? Did this temple we saw this week house the secrets for tapping directly into the darker elements of this force energy? If so, Dave... This is a return to some of the things that have been retconned. Yes. Some of the books and a lot of the comics that are now considered legends, they've been retconned and ripped from canon, delved into very similar things. The ability to tap into a very specific side of the force. Emotion, rage, anger, hatred, those are all ways to tap into the dark side. But what if you found a way to tap directly into the energy that feeds the dark side? Yeah, and that that's the important part to, I think 
Doesn't that give, though, Dave, think about it. Doesn't that give justification to why Kylo Ren and Snoke are in the unknown regions? Why they are killing people off in these planets? They're looking for something, right? In fact, yes. isn't that the pitch for Kylo Ren? That he was a dark side wielder that scoured the galaxy for ancient force relics? Yeah. Do you remember? That's, that's the first definition we got of Kylo Ren when they introduced his character way back before force awakens even aired his first trailer. Yes. So all of this would make sense. It'd be going full circle, Dave. That's why, that's why it was really important for me this, in this episode to actually see what they're going with, uh, trying to explain star killer base, because like one of the things that I really liked was the fact that they're trying to show that there's different ways of tapping into the force. It's just not, you know, like not using as a crystal. It's not as clean cut. It's as, not as clean cut as the Jedi and the Sith, as in as we have seen throughout the last what twenty thirty years. They're, exactly. they're delving into areas that are more from the old EU. From the old EU, and when you take it into the, into context with everything else, you know you have uh, the Yoda tales of basically that there's that one canon story that's actually in the comics where Yoda finds those people that Yoda secret war Yoda secret war where he finds those people ingesting a stone which turns out to be the flesh of a person of a being that is force sensitive and that's how they tap into the force and you you see it in uh the screaming citadel how how that one witch taps into the force it's very different right, yeah. Than what we see and on top of that when i saw that it really put into context of how much more powerful star killer base is compared to the death star and in order to justify that strength it has to be connected to the force it how can be there be to the force how can there be something more powerful than the very of, okay, how can something be more powerful than a crystal that's literally the living force? The living force. The crystal is a living. Was it what do they call it? A living crystal? Yeah, a living. A living it's, crystal. It's a living crystal. It is the force. It's governed by the force. It's created by the force. So, how are you going to create a super weapon that's more powerful than the force itself? Well, make sure this weapon taps into something okay. just. Just, just as powerful, just as powerful, just as strong. I know that's very speculative. There's a lot of there's a lot of what ifs there and and maybes. But when you put but the when you put the pieces if, together, it makes sense. Yeah, Snoke's story is essentially done, right? I mean, unless they find a way to bring him back in unless episode they find a way nine, to bring back. and I don't know if we really need a bunch of characters coming back. But my point is, is that this would add so much needed layers. To the development of Snoke and Kylo Ren. It would explain what their agendas are. Well, I mean, because right now, what is their agenda? The First Order? Okay, and what do you want to do with the First Order besides cause anarchy and chaos? The Empire had a goal. Yeah. I'm not saying it was a good goal. I'm not saying I agree with their goal. But they had a goal. They had an agenda. What is the First Order's agenda? What is Snoke's agenda? What is Kylo Ren's agenda? That needs to be made more clear. And I'm sure the third movie will will possibly do that. But when it comes to things that's already transpired, why not start building on those on those narrative aspects a bit more and give this this new era of Star Wars, this new story from the sequel trilogy, 
a little more meat to it. And it would also make a lot more sense, especially with the introduction of Ayla and Kel. Yes. And that's why it would I mean, bring importance to their temple and it would explain why Kylo Ren and the First Order even destroyed and annihilated that planet. That's why I've been saying for the past couple episodes that resistance is actually gearing up to be something really important to the to the universe building of Star Wars. Because just like what you said, it's adding meat to those loose narratives that we got introduced to in the movies and expanding on the mythos of star Wars in a way that fits and it's on par with everything that came before. And I feel like this is the direction they should go in because it maintains the mystical elements of star Wars. Yeah. So it keeps the show and the shows consistent. It also parallels the death star, as I said, and it's, consistency to the world of star wars that makes sense because the force should always be the strongest energy in the galaxy and we're talking about the perversion of an energy field that is supposed to be pure and balanced and it turns their weapons essentially into an abomination something that should not exist it contradicts everything the force represents or at least how the jedi have interpreted it so this is the direction they need to continue i'm not saying resistance needs to all of a sudden Flip gears. You know, yeah, go into this darker element. I don't see, I don't think that at all. But when you're dealing with the bigger story, because that's absolutely what we're dealing with in these last few episodes of Resistance. We're not dealing with just the immediate narrative or the myth arc of Resistance, but we're dealing with the bigger picture of Star Wars as a whole. And when you're dealing with that, you have to maintain the mystical aspects of Star Wars. Otherwise, it doesn't feel like Star Wars. It doesn't feel consistent. So this, I cannot be happier to see this week. All that, of this. That's why the one thing that I, uh, that I really, one of the images in this episode that I really liked was Kaz carrying around that stuffed animal. It may seem weird, but there is something very spiritual about like the fact that, and spiritual and grim when he's carrying around this stuffed animal that was probably held by a child that was force sensitive. Or a pedophile trying to lure children. <laughs> you just had to go there, <laughs> did you? Yeah. <laughs> hey, come here. Come here. You see the stuffed animal? Yeah, I got a stuffed animal over here. You want to see it? <laughs> but like. There's candy inside. You just got to reach into his asshole and pull it out. <laughs> oh, man. Hurry, I'll sew it back together later. Why is it all crusty? Oh. Oh. All right. We have. <laughs> We have lost about at least a dozen or more listeners with that joke. <laughs> and Disney is now revoking our, our Star Wars <laughs> our celebration Star Wars passes. Celebration passes. <laughs> All right, Dave. So what's going on with Tam? How, this one is interesting. How did they manage to make her so effing annoying? <laughs> I mean, I don't mind. When I say annoying, I'm not saying it's a bad decision. It's not. She's annoying. But I don't think it's bad writing. Yeah. It's there's there's a purpose behind it. I, I have an idea of what they're working towards, and I don't think it's going to end well. Within the recent episodes, we've seen that. Ham, I, no, I, we can definitely say this. She's definitely a first order slash empire sympathizer, right? She is. It, it, it's difficult to say sympathizer, but I think she's kind of like. But yeah, I, I wish there was a different word that you could use than like first order sympathizer because like it's not like she's working for the no first no order. no no I'm not I'm not saying that because she's necessarily 
bad or evil, but she's had a different experience dealing with them than the others. It's, it goes right back to what we discussed in last week's episode breakdown, right? Yeah. She doesn't view them as evil incarnate, like the people who've actually had experiences with them. Yeah. So I have a feeling they're working towards making her the one that sells Kaz and Yeager out, Dave. And and the thing that I mean, what else are they going to do with her at this yeah. point? Why give us that last minute, that last minute bit with Tam where she essentially was saying that she's an outsider now, that she doesn't fit in this group. You're keeping things from her. You don't trust me enough. You know, that's what she's saying. You don't trust me to share what's going on. Then why am I even here? I can see that being used to justify why she ends up selling them out. Let's say something Kaz and Yeager ends up let's say they end up doing something next episode that causes some deaths you know some nothing that was horrible from their side of things but you know casualties right um collateral damage i should say yes well what if tam decides to blame kaz and yeager for that like well this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for your secrecy and the things you guys are doing in the shadows you guys are undermining the security on this platform by going against the first order what if she feels like she's doing the right thing yeah, because they're doing something with her that they can't just keep her like this and not. And not go all the way. It, does that make sense? No, no, it does, because yeah. like the the whole thing about Tam now is kind of like you don't do this with a character and then pull back all of a sudden. Well, never. Mind. Exactly. We're not going to continue down this path. And and it feels like they're trying to say something about Tam, you know, say not not Tam as a character, but just overall try to give tam almost kind of like this uh perspective they, they want us to f- look at tam as our perspective or like uh the, the audience's perspective is like if you were put in this situation wouldn't you think of the same thing wouldn't you think i think a lot outsider? of people would i mean how many people have remained quiet exactly because that, they realize that hey well they're not doing anything to me so um, it's I'm a very gonna... real world. It's a very real world type yeah. of social uh, identity that basically a lot. And that's the one thing I drew on this episode when I saw Tam is kind of like, drew yeah, you, you, you see her as a first order sympathizer, but it's also kind of like, well, wait a minute. She doesn't know the whole story. But then again, if you were put in this role, wouldn't you think the same thing? I'm an outsider. You guys are keeping me out of the, these things. Yeah. I don't think her reasoning's flawed, especially when you go back to the opening episodes of the first season where a lot of people seem to think that the resistance are a nuisance. Yeah. That they're unjustified. There's no reason to have the resistance. In fact, we had said that before we understood the, the political landscape of this new era of Star Wars. Like, why is there a resistance? They have the New Republic. In fact, that was one of the problems I had with Force Awakens because they didn't really explain why a resistance is even needed when you have the New Republic. Now things are made, have been made a lot more clear through comic books and books and, of course, through resistance. So I get it. I know Tam doesn't have the, the complete picture and and I'm anxious to see what they do, but I don't think it's going to end well. I, I think don't it's think gonna, it's going to end well either. Because it's going like, to end badly. Uh I agree with you is kind of like they're really trying to push this thing, especially at the very end when Yeager 
like looks at her and tells Tam, I forgot the exact words, but he tells, essentially tells Tam, well, you know, it's better that you don't know. He basically backhanded the bitch. He backhanded yeah. her. It's like, it's Mind like, your own business. The funny part is, it's kind of like, at first it took me off guard because I'm going, wait a minute, why would Yeager say, well, and then I took a step back and I said, well, yeah, Yeager would say this. Keeping that pimp hand strong, Dave. <laughs> he would say this because like, you know, Tam isn't part of that world. She's not a resistance fighter. She's a mechanic. She's not meant to be, you know, doing all this espionage. So yeah, it, it, it was it was it a poor choice on Yeager's part? Probably. And, and honestly, Dave, <laughs> I, I'm okay with what they're doing with her, like I said, because it'll just make it, if she doesn't get killed or become bad for whatever reason, which I don't think that's the direction think- they're going in. If anything, it'll make her switch that much more sweeter for the audience when she finally realizes that she's been wrong and she joins their side of things. Yeah. That it, it'll make it that much better. And, and rather than having everybody come together, yeah, everyone, we're unified by the same goals. And we've already seen that. And honestly, what's the likelihood of that really happening? As we can see through our own real world experiences, how divisive are we currently as as a society? And the likelihood of everybody agreeing on a course of action is very slim. So to see that there are divisions and and thoughts and and there are obvious rifts in people's political thoughts and opinions and affiliations, that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm okay with that. I think it's going to work to actually end up telling a pretty fucking great story for Tam. Oh, yeah. And we've been we've been saying that one of the strengths of resistance so far is the fact that they've been able to do with the last couple episodes tie real world ideals yeah well just like star wars has always done they've always had they always pulled inspiration from real Real world world politics politics. and history yeah Yeah. so dave we are at the end of our discussion and breakdown give me your final thoughts but not just your final thoughts start off with your final thoughts and then give me things you want to see in the finale things that you think we have to see before the end well my final thoughts on this episode, I thought this episode was really strong. Uh, I thought the narrative was very well paced and it was a simple, but it, it got the point across. You have to set up for force awakens. You have to actually separate Poe from Kaz at this point, make it count. And they did. You show, you showed the difference between Poe and Kaz as characters without undermining Kaz as a character, which I thought was a brilliant maneuver. I like seeing Kaz in the fireball as a pilot. I was really excited to see the uh, the Red Baron. I, I keep forgetting that character's name. The Red Armored uh, TIE Fighter pilot. Finally, kind of mixed it up with Kaz a little bit. They didn't do it directly, but it was good to actually kind of get that little taste of, okay, Kaz is in the cockpit. And he's going against the Red Baron pilot right now. And you just get that taste that basically we're going to see something more with this rivalry as pilots. And which leads into what I want to see for the next episode. The next episode, I actually want to see a dogfight between Kaz and, uh, um, man, I, I wish I could remember the character's name, but the Red Armored uh, TIE Fighter pilot. I think that's going to be one of the most important coolest dog fights that we could see and it'll be a really great moment to showcase Kaz 
as a ace pilot. Like, I really honestly feel that the next episode has to have a dogfight. You, this is the resistance. This was, this was sold to us as this is a story about pilots. It's now time to actually cast him. The fireball is all fixed up. Get in that cockpit pilot and take on a, a, a TIE fighter pilot. That's, that's my main thing that I want to see next, next episode. Okay. Solid episode this week. It's definitely one of the strongest of the entire season. I'd have to go back and, and re read the synapses. The synap- Jesus. I can't talk today, David. It's all your fault. <laughs> um, solid episode. I would have to go back and re- review the past episodes t- to say definitively, but I'm pretty confident in saying this is definitely one of the best episodes of the year. Uh, it, I don't really have much more to add. I just want them to keep going in this direction, keep developing your characters. I, I feel like what they've done over the past five episodes, it means everything for this show. And it's given me confidence that this show has legs to continue for another two, three, four seasons if they want. Uh, now, things that I feel like we definitely need to see in the finale. I'd like to see Kylo Ren. This soon? Yeah. I, I, I'm not saying something major, but let's shed some light on what he was doing to that temple. Because when we come back, episode nine will already have premiered by the time we come back for season two. Let's give us some clues into things that we could possibly see. Make this show relevant. Maybe some heavy what the fuck type implications. Something new. Something that might even change our perspective on The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. And even though I like what they're doing, I like that the Resistance uh, writers are using things that we know of from the movies to to beef up their overall myth arc and narrative, but it would be nice also for resistance to bring something new to the table. Uh, and I know they have in the way of explaining and, and clarifying the political landscape and what the resistance and, and the first order were up to prior to the movie. But uh, let's really review some, I would love to see something major in the finale, something that really adds to the world of, Star Wars. The bigger picture of Star Wars. Probably a better way of saying that. All right. So this concludes our discussion for this week, Dave. We will be back next week with a complete breakdown of what I'm assuming is the season finale. Season finale. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Please leave us reviews. And don't forget to go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Rainman Digital. Give us reviews. Wait a second. I just said that. Pledge $5 or more, gain access to more discussions and reviews from comic books, books, all types of good stuff. And we do that each and every single month for our Patreon subscribers. So head over to there, patreon.com slash Rainman Digital. And thank you, David. And if you've missed any portion of the show, you can always head over to fromthebacktotank.com and listen to the show at your leisure. On Stitcher, Smart Radio, Stitcher.com, search BACTA, and add us to your favorites. Thank you. And uh, listen responsibly. And may the force be with you. And long live. Thank you for listening to From the Back to Tank. And From the Back to Tank is executive produced by Michael Flores and Dustin Lucas. Hosted by Michael Flores, David Zabal, and you can 
find out more about our show by going to www.fromthebacktotank.com. You can also find us on Twitter at FromBackToTank, as well as Facebook, facebook.com slash FromTheBackToTank. 